You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. All right, folks, we have a little bit of Pate State material on this bonus episode of Getting Swamped. Josh Pate from 24-7 Sports joins me today. And Josh, you're very, very fair about all your assessments for whether it's the SEC or your different conference, very fair nationally about every college football program out there. And, you know, a year ago, obviously, Dan Mullen, he got kicked to the curb. He was fired for a lot of things, but lack of recruiting was was mainly a lot of it. And, you know, you you've been very fair about talking about how the recruiting and how you should be able to recruit these elite recruits in the state of Florida being at the University of Florida. So, you know, with that being said, now, you know, Billy Napier now steps into the fold as the head coach coming over from Louisiana Lafayette, very successful over there for his four years. And now you got coaches like Brian Kelly entering LSU. You've got Miami now getting Mario Cristobal. Now with Saban and Kirby, and now even Jimbo now, he's recruiting like a madman out there. You insert Brian Kelly, you insert Mario Cristobal, and now even Mario Cristobal has Charlie Strong and his staff now into the mix there for the South Florida ties there. How difficult do you think it gets now for Napier to bring in a top five class, and do you think Napier can compete with these already established head coaches around the nation with the staff that he's put together? Yes, short answer. I do think he can compete with them. Um, To me, the task is not, a top five class, it's great to land there. Obviously, it's the goal to, to have the top class right. by the way that you measure it as a staff. But what they need to do and what all the other staffs you mentioned need to do is they need to consistently be in the top eight to ten range. Yep. If you're there, then subjectively, you could spin it into we are a top five class. But what you have to always couple that with is you obviously have to couple it with really nailing the evaluation and acquisition elements of the quarterback position. And so that's something that obviously you watch with every staff. So Florida is going to be no different there, but yes, to go back just a second to how egregious the entire situation had been, it always requires context because I've talked Florida recruiting on buddies who are like in the big 10 and maybe not Ohio state big 10 fans either, but, maybe a Nebraska fan or maybe a Wisconsin fan, they'll listen to people criticize at the time, Dan Mullen and at the time, Florida fans criticizing the recruiting. Well, they go to national signing day and they go to recruiting rankings and they say, hold up, Florida's they're ranked top 15. Like we'd love to be there. Well, yeah. In Madison, Wisconsin in Lincoln, Nebraska, I bet you would, but this is a different world and the context therein lies because you just mentioned a bunch of names and one of them was Nick Saban and one of them was Kirby smart and Jimbo Fisher, look, let's not even, let's not discount how serious they're trying to take things at South Carolina too. And that's not even one of the primary programs that you focus on. And so you cannot afford to quote unquote, only be hanging out the top 15. You hang out the top 15 in any given recruiting cycle, that may not even be good for top half of the conference that you play in. So the context is very important. I think they get that. I think Billy Napier gets it. And the other thing that excited me, and I know good and well it excited a lot of folks down there, was when he came in, he, he displayed a keen awareness of some of the internal issues there, whether it be the nutrition stuff or even the parking ticket stuff. He, he, he showed very quickly, I get it, and I've heard the complaints, and we're not going to wait two or three years to address it. Let's do what we can right now. And that's kind of what they did on signing day, too. They did what they could right now 
And this full, well, the first full cycle, I guess, will be coming up with the 2023 class. But I'm really interested to see how they handle this. And I'm also, as I am with any new staff, I'm interested to see their personal philosophy on things like the transfer portal. Yeah, you're right. I actually didn't even think that. I am really actually curious to see what they do in the portal. Dan Mullen, actually, he may have not been the best high school recruiter. We know he wasn't, but he did hit home runs in the portal. I mean, you you look at Lingard, Bowman, uh, Jonathan Grenard at at one point, Van Jefferson, Trayvon Grimes. His knack was just not being able to capitalize in high school in the state of Florida. We all know that. And, And Billy Napier, he's obviously hired a ton of staff. I think it's like 50 staff members that have been announced right now and you know it also brings up a question that I have is is sometimes you know he he hired Corey Raymond one of a a great proven recruiter that recruits elite talent at quarterback Um, but he also recruited a lot more staff brought in some people over from Louisiana Lafayette and you know Mario Cristobal he's had some good hires over there as well do you think that you know as far as hires go do you think it's more of a quantity over quality thing or is it a quality over quantity or is it just you know maybe a little bit of both I think probably the correct answer is a little bit of both. Listen, in our world and in the fans' world, let's be real now. We don't ever sit here the most qualified to evaluate hires because really what it comes down to in a lot of cases is have I heard of this guy before? And if I hadn't heard of him before, then by default, I, I can tell you the way my mind works, and I'll just let the listeners decide how their mind works. But the way my mind works is if you hear of a guy being hired, that you really don't know a whole lot about the default position is I'm not as impressed with that as I am with you hiring a guy that maybe I've heard of and I've known for a long time, but that really doesn't mean anything because a lot of quality hires end up being guys that you had never heard of when they first arrived on the scene that applies sometimes as high up as coordinators. And so absolutely it applies to position coaches and off field analysts of which, as you said, he's hired an army. And so when I look at the way he's hiring, And I think of, is this quality or quantity? The reason I say both is obviously because we see the numbers, but if you're hiring someone, I don't care if it's for a fortune 500 company or, you know, a meat processing plant or Florida football. If you have defined your core values and your core principles, and then you went and you found people who check those boxes for you, those are quality hires. It may not be, it may not be the same thing they're trying to do at New Mexico state or even Florida state. But if you're trying to do it at Florida and you found some people that that are going the same direction by, by the very nature of the hiring process, those are quality hires. Now, the next thing that you want to see is you want to see it put into practice. And here's where you're going to have a lot of people wrong in the way they look at Florida because Billy Napier has never been a power five head coach. A lot of people are going to treat him like a hotshot coordinator who's getting his first chance at the big time. Now, It's his first chance to coach at a power five level as a head coach, but it's not that his practices and methods aren't already proven. He did it already as a head coach. Uh, When Peterson got to Washington, it was the same way. Chris Peterson comes to Washington and people are asking, oh, I wonder if his approach is going to work. Well, of course it was going to work. It had already been proven. The only thing he was doing is stepping up in caliber of competition. But see, when you step up in caliber of competition, you also tend to get access to better players. So all we're seeing is Billy Napier with a proven process and formula now with access to better resources, better players. And some of it, he's got to, he's got to kind of ignite himself, but I have very little doubt that it's going to work out. And I have very little doubt given the leeway they've given him at Florida to hire 
this big a staff, I have no doubt that they're invested in that idea too. Right. And, and, and when you have more guys on the staff, especially quality guys that check all the boxes, you can be, they can be somewhere where you can't be, especially on the recruiting trail, because it helps with recruiting a lot. And I guess kind of stepping away from recruiting now, I'm going to go into developmental-wise, because once you get the kids on campus, you got to develop them to, make, to be good players. You can get all the five stars on the planet, but you have to develop them to, to get to the national championship and win national champions. And Mullen was actually kind of praised for being the ultimate developer. He's a great, you know, great offensive mind, no doubt. Even though we didn't have that much of a great time with Dan Mullen as head coach, he was a good offensive mind. We know he didn't like recruiting, but let's put recruiting aside. Uh, as far as development, we've heard Napier talk about his stages of development for players and the fact that he asked for tape, measurables, and other things from high school. Do you think Napier can actually or could be possibly a better developer than Dan Mullen? Dan Mullen was a very good developer. Uh, I don't think that means that Billy Napier can't be that or at least an equal or comparable to that. But when I've talked to people behind the scenes and specifically when I've talked to other coaches about Napier, what they praise the most is his ability to evaluate first mm-hmm. and foremost, which was a necessity where he was previously. But then also they really praise his ability to develop and they you know, they would do kind of a forensic analysis of Louisiana Lafayette's roster. And they would say, you know, for example, if I was talking to other G5 guys, they would say, you know, we didn't offer that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, and that guy. And they'd be pointing out starters at Louisiana. They'd be pointing out guys who not only worked out, who not only were good evaluations, but then when they got on campus, they rarely swung and missed from a developmental standpoint. So there weren't right. very many busts. There weren't very many, there weren't, wasn't a lot of dead weight, in other words, on that roster. So again, we ask ourselves, what do we believe? Do we believe the formula at G5 levels just doesn't translate at all? Or do we think the formula for winning is always the formula for winning? It's just the higher up the ladder you go on those different rungs, you need different caliber of player, but it's the same formula. I happen to believe the latter philosophy is true. And that's why it means a lot to me to have had other coaches seeing the praises of Billy Napier in the realm of not only evaluation and, you know, development and whatnot or acquisition, but also development. Like, yeah, I've heard that not only from myself, but from other coaches before. So I don't have very much doubt that he'll check those boxes as well. Right, absolutely. And him bringing over some of the guys from Louisiana Lafayette, a couple of offensive tackles, an offensive lineman, and a running back who was freshman Sunbelt Player of the Year in Montreal Johnson Jr. So it'll be interesting to see what they uh, bring to the table here in the SEC. Now, what kind of turnaround do you expect from Florida from 2022 to 2023? You know what? Emory Jones got benched before the Georgia game. Richardson plays most of that game in Georgia. Emory Jones comes back and finishes the season with the exception of, you know, half the Florida State game. The other half of it was Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson opts out to get surgery on his meniscus before the UCF game. Who do you think starts, and what's the modest record for Florida going into 2022-2023? I always float between that eight-win, nine-win range, just as a baseline. So I guess eight-and-a-half would be the cop-out, and I'll set your over-under at that. Um, and you could go seven and a half or eight and a half, but I'll float in that range. But I always say with first year coaches and I'll apply it here too. It's not the win loss record that is going to be the best gauge for me. It's going to be whether you week over week incrementally improve. Do I turn on Florida in the first week of September and then turn them on again in the first week of November and say, wow, they're a better football team now. If I see that, then it's been a success in year one. Because fact of the matter is, especially in this conference, 
you're going to have a lot of what I call Bob games, which are bounce of ball games, which is that kind of game where it's, you know, one possession either way, a fumble bounced the wrong way, or you had one doink off the upright. And yeah. it's the difference in winning by three and losing by four. You're no different a coach. You're no right. different a staff. Scenario A versus scenario B. And sometimes you can have two or three net wins and losses, plus or minus, because of those things. So, I mean, you can go eight and four and lose those four games by a combined 13 points, or you can go nine and three and lose the three games by a combined 50 points. Well, what was the better yeah. year? Like, what gave me more hope for the future. So I look at, yes, win and loss, but I also look at the week-over-week incremental improvement. Now, here's what I think with the quarterback situation. I would personally lean Anthony Richardson, but I also am very interested to see them get in spring. And let me pause for a second and ask you, what is his status for spring? Is he out or is he good to go? Yeah, so he'll, he'll do spring practice, but they say he'll be limited because of that meniscus surgery. Okay, so that's good uh, for obvious reasons, but also for this reason. With the new staffs, when they're in place, I always like to watch them, especially now in the transfer portal era, I like to watch them go through spring and then see how panicked they are coming out of spring. Do we see a ton of moves that indicates they've assessed what they have, they don't like it enough, and they know if they're going to compete in year one, they need to seriously overhaul certain key positions, or do they come out of spring and you start to get whispers from sources around the program that say, hey, they feel pretty good about where they are. They think they can do some things in year one. I'm very interested to see how it how it sounds from Gainesville or from you know places like Baton Rouge. I'm really interested to see how that sounds after this upcoming spring. That's why a lot of folks tune out in spring, and especially with the first-year staffs, I'm always fully dialed in reading every practice report. And then after spring – which now equals the second transfer portal window, essentially. Uh, I'm really interested to see how they handle that or how they choose not to deal with it at all. Right, exactly. Always watch that transfer portal, especially with all the quarterbacks that Florida has right now. You know, that's that's a lot of quarterbacks. And we've kind of discussed this between other other guys that I talk to. Somebody's probably going to transfer out of that quarterback room with with the amount of quarterbacks that they do have there. And, um, you know, it it will be interesting to see who wins that quarterback slash battle because everybody thought, I mean, for a second, they thought Emory Jones was going to transfer. They really did. And then he elected to stay, stay on campus, uh, it, whether that's to finish school, whether that's to compete for next year. Uh, who knows? But you, this is what I always tell everybody, too. Always watch that transfer portal, especially in spring, because when somebody doesn't win that job, they're probably hopping in that thing, and they're probably wanting to go somewhere else. So last question, Josh, give me a future cast here. Do you see Florida in the playoff or national title hunt down the road, 2023, 2024, 2025? I think there's going to be a year. Now, hopefully for Florida fans, it just becomes a sustained run. But, yeah, 2024-25, that's when the entire roster is turned over. Uh, the entire program has Billy Napier's thumbprint on it. I thought this was the most overlooked and underrated hire in the major college football recruiting cycle period mm-hmm. this past cycle. And so if I think that, that means I believe in him and the process and philosophy that we talked about. And if I believe in that and you're giving me three years down the road, we have fully turned over the program at that point. You got his players in there and you got his philosophy, you know, fully in imprinted, I guess, on the program. Yeah, I think by that time, it is reasonable to expect them to be in contention every year. I don't know what year you circle. And I don't, I don't, I look at it as, can I be a contender? That's the way I look at it. Cause there's really no skill in predicting even within a given year who is and isn't going to make the playoff. Cause there's so many variables that no one could account for like injury, but yes, 
I think that we will enter, I, I think safely we'll enter the 2024 college football season and Florida will be preseason, whatever you want them to be, top 15, top 10. And there will be a realistic path from that point moving forward for them to be a playoff contender virtually every season. Right, correct. And, and I liked your assessment on the first year of being kind of like an 8-4 and four record because that's what I kind of figured out, too, when I looked at the schedule and all that. And that's from a non-biased standpoint as not a Florida fan or anything like that. If I was betting money and I had thousands of dollars to bet on games, would I bet on this? Would I bet on the winner? And, and I, I picked Florida around 8-4, and four too. So really good that, uh, you know, we kind of share the same sentiment there. It, you know, you make a good point, though, too, is even if you go 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four or, or, shoot, even if you don't make a bowl game, what does that recruiting class look like? Does it, is, it, is it a recruiting class that can compete in the SEC and can compete nationally with all the other teams in the nation? That's how I look at it. Is like you said, it's, as long as you see improvement, whether it's improvement in, in one part of the aspect of the field or it's in recruiting, as long as we see some kind of hope, some kind of improvement, I think that's a, a fair assessment there for uh, for everybody. Josh, man, thanks for joining us uh, here on Get Swapped. A little bonus action, a little paint state material here, Josh. Uh, let everybody know where they could find you, man. You're one of the best guys I like out there on 24-7 sports. Like I said, you're very fair in your analysis. You're very, you know, fair on the assessments of every team nationally. So, uh, and you also interview wrestlers like Paul White, which is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start leaving my bio with what you said last. That was a nice opportunity we had last week. But I appreciate you saying that. We do Late Kick uh, live every Sunday and Thursday night on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. The replays are there whenever anyone wants them. Uh, we also release it via podcast, anywhere you get your pods, Late Kick. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, etc. at Late Kick Josh. All right, Josh. Thanks for joining us on the Get Swap bonus episode podcast, man. I appreciate you having me. All right, Josh Pate from 24-7 Sports giving us an analysis of the state of the Florida program a little bit and this analysis of where he thinks Florida can wind up in the future here in 2022, 2023, and beyond. And he brought up a good point, you know, when I looked at Florida's schedule, I said, what if I drained my savings account to bet on some of these games? What record would I predict? So I went down the schedule, and I think Utah could be a toss-up. We'll see how good Florida comes out and Utah comes out, because it's really at the beginning of the season, so it's really hard to assess a team at the beginning of the season, but Utah's going to be a hard opponent, I'm telling you. But I looked at that first game, then I went down the schedule and say, like, what is a modest you know, record that you think would not a biased record I did pick eight and four. And the goal is to be undefeated to go to a national championship. That's what I want to happen. But I, I, I did a modest opinion of what I think would happen. I went with eight and four because there is there is scenarios where you could go seven and five or nine and three or or even more. Even beyond that, you could go ten and two. There, there's scenarios for everything. But when you look at it at a modest standpoint, you got Texas AM, you got Georgia, you got LSU, uh, you, you know, you got some tough opponents on that schedule. And they've out recruited you pretty much every year when Dan Mullen was here. Recruiting, does, you know, recruiting matters, but also development does too. So we'll see what happens with that schedule. Now, he brings up a great point. The ball can bounce one way or the other, right? So you could have an 8-4 and four and the ball bounces the right way for you and you could wind up being 9-3-10-2, like I just said. So let's, let's, let's throw this out here. Look at, uh, let's see, Gus Malzahn's first year as head coach at Auburn. He made it all the way to the national championship, plays Florida State, almost beats Florida State, almost wins the national championship in his first year as a head coach. Crazy, right? So, but look at that season. Look at that Georgia versus Auburn game in 2013. You know, it's fourth and 18, 25 seconds left. Nick Marshall has the ball. And they need a Hail Mary miracle to win this game, right? So, obviously, Nick Marshall, he drops back. He tosses a Hail Mary. You see two Georgia defenders right there. So, you're thinking either it's getting intercepted or, you know, it's, it's going to be an incompletion and it'll be Georgia's ball and then win the football game. The ball bounces 
off two Georgia defenders and lands perfectly in stride <laughs> to an Auburn receiver who has nobody around him. He catches the ball residue for a touchdown. Auburn wins the game 43-38. That's one scenario of where the ball bounces the way that it should. Second scenario, same season, Auburn playing Alabama. Alabama goes kick field goal, really long one. It's a little short. Special teams guy catches the ball for Auburn, returns it back all the way, 100 yards for a touchdown. Auburn wins the football game and goes on to the SEC championship, then the national championship. And instead of being 7-1 and one in the SEC, they could have really went 5-3 and three if those scenarios do not happen and the ball does not bounce their way. So really good analysis there from Josh Pate. Much respect to him, too, taking time. Busy guy, national guy over there at 24-7 Sports. So, uh, yeah, definitely, man. Anytime you can get Pate State material on the podcast, you want him on there, folks. That is Josh Pate from 24-7 Sports. And that'll do it. That'll wrap it up for this bonus episode of Getting Swapped, your latest in football, statistics, special guests, and social media. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Getting Swapped.